tapering off towards the end of a season. Oh, it's a shame. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So last week, last month, you guys, or this month, you were going to work on different ways that you um, didn't give in to your animal soul, I guess, or um, you were in touch with your godly soul, or you made choices that were connected to your, you know, your godly side, your spiritual side. And even if that's sometimes things that are very mundane, but it's like, you could just reframe it. Like, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I'm hungry. I'm eating this ice cream. No, I'm eating this ice cream because I want to feel joyous and I want to appreciate God and all that he gives to me. Right. You could just reframe why you're eating the ice cream and then it, it's elevated and becomes a holy act as opposed to an indulgent act. Sound familiar? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Yes. Okay. So this class is a little bit ironic to be giving during the pandemic, but you know, what hasn't been ironic about this pandemic, right? Things have been just bizarre. And we're going to explore another depth, another angle, another facet of joy in our, you know, getting more joyful in our lives and bringing more joy to our lives. And um, so this month, we're going to talk about relationships. So, you know, maybe our relationships have suffered. Maybe our relationships have gotten better. Maybe you're like, what relationships? It's COVID. I haven't seen it here. <laughs> um, I hope not. Um, okay. So the first thing I'm going to start with, hey, Henya, you want to say hi to everyone? Yeah. No? Okay. Um, the first thing I'm going to start with is that, is telling you some things that you already know, which is that, you know, Hashem gave us the Torah and the Torah is a blueprint. It is a manual for how we live our lives. Um, at the very beginning of the Torah, Hashem creates the world and there's, you know, minor details on how Hashem creates the world. And on the sixth day, right before Shabbos, Hashem creates the first human. And then all of a sudden, Hashem gives us like an insight into his process. So he created fish and trees and flowers. And he didn't tell us why he created pink ones and purple ones and orange ones. And he didn't tell us anything. He didn't tell us why there's such a variety of fruits or why fish are this way. I mean, the, the, the sea is so unknown. And there's so many, so much variety under, under the ocean. We don't hear anything about it. He just creates it. And then on day six, Hashem creates the world. I mean, Hashem creates human, man. And then he makes this really provocative statement. All of a sudden, he tells us about his process, his tweaking. He lets us in on his editing. And he says, um, it's not good for man to be alone. So then he makes this provocative statement. He says, I'm going to create a helpmate against him. Okay, so number one is why are we, so we'll talk about the provocativeness of the, of the statement, a helpmate against him. You know, are the people that are in our lives Sometimes we think they're helpful, but they're really against us. Sometimes we think they're against us, but they're really so helpful. We'll talk about that a little bit, hopefully towards the end. But the main thing is that why is Hashem all of a sudden involving us in his process? Why is he all of a sudden telling us what he's doing? No, 
this is not good. Also, it's the first time every every other day, ketob, ketob, it was good, it was good, everything was good, good, good. All of a sudden, it's not good. So um, any any insight into that, anybody? Why all of a sudden when it's man, Hashem is telling us it's not good or he's giving us an insight into his process. Because man can choose. Okay, because man can choose, good. That's great. It wouldn't help the fishes if you tried to explain it to them. I mean, okay. we've got an intellect, our consciousness. Right, is okay, so Hashem's like kind of meeting us where we're at and with the, with the, if Hashem wanted to create a new variety of strawberries or grapes, the grapes don't care. He could just impose it upon them, but because it's humans and we're going to be, understand this process, we have something to gain. So Hashem's, it's no extra words. Like now we have something to gain. So now I'm going to share with you. So what is this that we have to gain? It's almost like the very first thing Hashem is telling us about the world the first thing that is relates to us as humans is it's not good to be alone. Now, obviously this is speaking about a spouse, but of course it doesn't just mean a spouse. It means it's not good to be a loner. It's not good to be somebody without family, without friends to be, we are not, we were not created. It is not good for humankind to be in this, on this planet as loners, okay? So that's really, really important. It's right at the beginning of the Torah. And this is, you know, this is for humanity to understand that we are created to be with somebody else. Okay. So, um, so right now, you know, I think that whether we have relationships, don't, are looking to build relationships, have struggle with relationships or struggle with them right now because of the pandemic. You know, maybe you had a certain way of always being with your friends, but you don't know how to move past that. For the pandemic, we'll talk about some of those things. I mean, I'm not gonna give you all advice on life beyond my um, pay grade because everybody here is more, uh, has, has probably better things to teach me about such things. Okay, so, um, so there is a story um, in the Talmud. The Talmud tells us about Rabbi Yochanan. He lived in the third century and he was one of the greatest sages of his, of his time. And besides for being such a great Torah sage, he possessed this really amazing gift for healing. And one day Rabbi Yochanan fell ill and one of his colleagues came to visit him and gave Yochanan his hand, and I guess this was just the thing they did, maybe some kind of mystical thing, and he cured Rabbi Yochanan. And the Talmud asks the obvious question, why did his students need to call somebody else in? Why couldn't, if Rabbi Yochanan was a healer himself, Dr. Max, you'll appreciate this, why did he not heal himself, heal thyself, right? The Talmudic answer is striking. A prisoner cannot free himself from his own prison. So we always need somebody, somebody there with us, okay? Um, so we're going to talk about being more mindful in our relationships, creating space and, um, and tools for, you know, for, for keeping those relationships and why, how they tie into our, um, our, our happiness and what, what kind of Torah wisdom we have for this. Um, okay, so I think I'm going to... Um, share my screen and watch a little video here.
Okay, can you see? The blue whale gently navigates an oh, endless wait, ocean. The blue whale gently navigates an endless ocean, all alone. Have you ever wondered at its pronounced perpetual frown? Could it have something to do with feeling blue? Perhaps being alone is not that enjoyable after all. What if the blue whale was Jewish? Well, it would congregate three times a day, celebrate Shabbat and festivals with family and friends. Join other whales for underwater touring classes. Visit infirm marine mammals. Personally exchange baskets of krill on pearl, just for a start. What would all that do for it? Well, what does it do for us? As soon as God created the first human, he established its social nature. It's not good for a person to be alone. In other words, it is ultimately good for a person to be social, interactive, and part of a collective. Our connections and interactions bring us happiness. Science confirms that having family and friends brings us great health, longevity, success, and contentment. Sure, there are ups and downs in every relationship, like the waves on the endless oceans. But dive a little deeper. And you'll find that the better you hone your interactive skills and social attitudes, the happier and healthier you will be. Okay. Um, okay, that was a sweet video. Maybe we can just stop. We're done. Science, just uh, every all the, the good messages um, about being more social um, and Judaism is actually, you know, in our practice, a very social religion. So um, we're going to go to um, text two. Oh, that's me, right? I have to share my screen. You need me to move? What? Oh, oh sorry. Okay. So we're going to go to. Uh, oh, am I share? Is it sharing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're gonna go to text two, and you probably want to see it bigger. Okay. You see it bigger now? No, it's not. No bigger, bigger, bigger. Uh, th this is as big as I can show it now. No, uh -huh. you showed you showed it just one page, and that was great. Now you've got oh. two pages. Oh. Hmm. I don't know how to. I think it's just how it came to me. It showed one the first page by itself at the beginning. Oh, before when it was um when you first opened it. That's better? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So text two. Um Deborah, go ahead. The human being is naturally social. The nature of the human being is to be part of a community, unlike the life forms that need not be part of a collective. Okay, so here, um, this is from Maimonides in the 1100s. This is before, you know, science was so developed and letting us know that if you have good relationships, you actually live 15 years longer than people who do not have vibrant, loving relationships. So we know this 
already from the wisdom. This is something that's inborn in our religion. Okay, so um, text three, we're gonna just go here. Um, okay, so just, um, okay. So we, we know that it's, uh, we, we know that scientifically it's better to be social, but here's what's interesting. Start here. Initially, we suspected in the third about introverts. Adele, you want to read that? In one study, for example, we collected mood data from people using the experience sampling method. Throughout the day, we signaled the research participants with random alarms, after which they would complete a short mood survey and indicate the type of situation they were in. Were they alone or with other people? Initially, we suspected that introverts would be happier when they were alone and that extroverts would be happier when they were in a social setting. Flying in the face of our prediction, both extroverts and introverts had more positive emotions when they were with other people. That's right, even introverts who have the reputation for being social wallflowers enjoyed themselves more than when they were more when they were in social settings. Although it's true that extroverts spend a bit more time with other people, both groups showed more pleasant moods when they were engaged in social contact. Indeed, the introverts get as much boost from being with people as did extroverts. It's certainly not true that we would like to surround ourselves with other people all the time, but when we do, we tend to feel good. Okay, so this is not just about being an extrovert. It's not just like a perk of your personality. But what this is saying is all humans are wired to be social. Anybody want to um, offer any um, reason why we're why you think that is? Why we're wired to be social? Like what what what's the benefit of it? Or why did I, sh I mean, you know, why is that? To communicate with other people? Communicate. It gives you, you give and take. You give and take. So for growth, I guess, right? That's, it's one way to grow as a person. You can get more things done if you're social. So if you had to be self-reliant and do everything you needed to live a life all by yourself, A, you might not be able to do it. And B, you'd spend a lot of time doing it. So by being able to be social, you're able, it's like in that video at the end where it said the uh, whole was greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that that might be part of the reason. Right. Also, if Hashem created the world for a purpose, I imagine that Hashem's purpose is reached through us being unified together, social, working towards that goal together. We get things done, right? When we're together, which is what you're saying. Okay. So, um, so the very title that um, Judaism uses to describe the human alludes to the critical role that relationships play in the human experience. So um, um, the world is created into things like kingdoms, like the mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the animal kingdom, right? And humans are considered part of the animal kingdom. That is in secular science. Um, classic Jewish sources, though, give a similar division, but with one major difference. And what do you think that difference is? Who can guess? Humans are separate. We're on top. 
Right. Humans are separate. We're an independent class from the animals. And how it goes is there are the, the term used. So there's the, um, the domain, which is the silent. So what would fall into silence would be what the world calls um, the mineral kingdom, right? Then there is the tzomeach, which is the growth, which is growing, which is the vegetative. Then there's the chai, the alive ones, right? Those are the animals. And then there's the medaber. So we are chai, we are living, but we are the medaber. We are classified as speakers because the one thing that separates us from animals is our ability to speak. Now, it's not to say that Donna's cat doesn't communicate with her because I'm sure her cat communicates with her. And I think Danielle has a dog. Danielle, do you have a dog? Um, so we have animals and they communicate with us, but the human is the only creature or creation that has this ability to, um, to speak. And this is our spiritual genetics is our ability to speak. That is what connects us. That's one of our, the ways we, we spoke about this, the, um, our thought, speech, indeed, one of the ways that we express our soul, right? So this is part of our spiritual genetics. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, Okay, so um, let's see. Okay, so uh, da, 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 um, okay, I'm just trying to see what, what we're up to next. Okay, footnote um, seven. Okay, so classic Hasidic philosophy describes our power of speech as the ultimate power of transcendence. So what does it mean? Now, this is kind of a, a um, an oxymoron, what's it called? Or a, um, what's it called when it's both things at the same time? Uh, it's a- Dichotomy? A dichotomy or a, um, no, a, it's a, all truths are, um, like they're they're the opposite of each other, right? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? One second. Antithesis. No, it's, um, I know the word. Okay, it's a it's a paradox. That's a word. Okay, so this is a paradox. So speaking is our um, it is our power of transcendence because it's an act associated with transcendence. What does that mean? It's an act performed with and for a presence outside of ourselves. Right? We speak to ourselves, but most of our speaking and where do we practice speech and who is speaking made for, it's made for to get out of ourselves, right? You can have these thoughts in here, but you transcend yourself and only being by yourself by speaking to somebody. And the proof is that if you're in the room with somebody for too long, you know, you can have this comfort, comfortable silence, but at a certain point, if you're not speaking, if you're stonewalling the person you're with, it becomes very dicey, yes? Agree? At the same time, though, I need to mention the, the, the paradox is that um, speech is also the thing that limits, right? Because, you know, for example, in preschool, these kids, they draw these like wonderful drawings and they have an entire story affiliated with that drawing. And as soon as I ask the child, what did you draw? And they have to tell me, 
they don't have the words yet, or they, the words they have are like nothing compared to the fantasy that is going on for them. So words are transcendent and words are also minimizing, okay? They allow us to transcend ourselves, to get out of ourselves, but they also minimize something. So as soon as I call this a cop, it's no longer what my three-year-old thought it was, a rocket ship, right? And it's not going to space anymore because it's a cup and I'm just going to drink from it. And that's so boring. And that's minimizing it. Okay. Make sense. So for our, the purposes of our class, Medaber, he who speaks is he, she, who can transcend her himself. Make sense? Yes. And perhaps we can infer um, that considering that the power of speech expresses the quality of transcendence, so speaking to somebody is getting out of yourself, you could be in your brain, and as soon as you express yourself to somebody, you are getting, you are transcending your own self, it enables us to transcend our own boxes by getting out of ourselves to connect. So speech is the thing that allows us to connect with the other, which brings us to what lies at the root of successful relationships. What is at the root of successful relationships? Communication. Communication. But what does that represent? It represents transcendence, that we can go beyond just ourselves. The, 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 the poetry in communication is that we are going to think about someone beyond just ourselves. Um, so if I think of my relationships this way, if I think of my relationship in the way of transcendent, then number one is whatever I put into the relationship isn't a threat to my existence because nothing is being taken away from me. I am giving to somebody else. I am transcending myself, I'm giving to you, and that's not threatening because I'm invested in this now. And number two, whatever the other person accomplishes, I can think of as my joy as, as well, because now we're, we are connected, one for the team, your success is my success, and we share this. Now, obviously, this is not an overnight type of transcendent experience, but it's a way to think about the way we connect with other people. So um, in, in this way, we don't end up competing with each other because, I mean, without transcendence, then everything's a competition, everything's a one-up each other. And, um, but with transcendence, I connect to your soul because I am getting out of myself. The reason I am connecting with you is because you're a soul and I'm a soul. We're connecting via our souls and then we can reach real harmony, okay? Because ultimately we share, why, why, why do we reach harmony through transcendence? Because we share the same essential part of who we are. What, what do we share? We share a soul. And if we can identify more as souls, as our spiritual makeup, then all of that extra stuff, all the masks, all the distractions, all the competition, that can fall away, okay? Um, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. So transcendence or humility is the foundational technique in the art of relationships. And this facilitates other relationship skills. So the, the main thing is, and it's the hardest thing, and the, um, like the foundation we're building this on is getting out of ourselves, okay? Now, if we think about relationships today, 
you know, especially during this time, if, you know, you know, Sandrine, you have a teenager, Danielle, you have a, Danielle, are you there? Because I don't see you, but I'm assuming you're there. Um, so if you think about relationships today, they have a long way to go. I mean, some of us who are, you know, more mature and older, I'm looking at you ladies who do not have to dye your hair anymore. You are very much beyond um, the social media aspect and the Facebook. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine that that even tugs at your heartstrings when you see people show, sharing and showing you're like, whatever. I know that's, I mean, I'm sure that I, I, I don't even have to like, but for the younger children, for the younger generation, this is a part of their social media is a part of their social life. And, and we don't have to be like, you know, Debbie Downers and naysayers and get rid of it all. But it's really important for us to recognize with our children, grandchildren, whatever, that, you know, what, what that is, what it's there for, what the purpose is, because, you know, I, I know, you know, my teacher, the Rebbe, there's no way the Rebbe wouldn't have used social media for a good thing. And we can use it. We can spread beautiful messages. We can, we can share with people, you know, we can connect with people like never before I could put a video on that once upon a time, you would have had to come to my house to watch. And then maybe I would have had to email it to you later on in life or send you in the mail, you know, like the cassette, you'd have to put it on your, you know, there's so many just um, levels of how we have been able to connect, but nowadays I can put a link to a YouTube and it's a video of, I don't know, whatever it is, my father, the Rebbe, a speech, a story. Um, we, we can connect in beautiful ways, but um, not to mistake that for the human, the human connection, because there's nothing that takes away from the human connection, except if you're, you know, but even, you know, you told me Adele that, I mean, who here is not walking with friends during COVID outside? Who here is not seeing friends? at all, ever. I would, I would be surprised. I mean, I, I hope everybody is getting some sort of, you know, FaceTime, but with a face, even if it's a mask or if we're outside or whatever, um, because that is just really an important part of our existence as we are learning here. Okay. So um, let me see where we're up to here. Okay. So now, um, we're going to talk about, okay, a little bit about, um, a little bit about, okay, so today our relationships is, um, and I think that a, another really important thing that we could institute and, you know, make our kids understand, let's say, or the next generation is how much community matters. It's not just your social media community, but your actual community. And as the video showed us that Yiddishkeit is really about community. So I think we're going to, um, we're going to start on that vein, which is that community is the beginning of relationships. When you are part of a community, if you move somewhere, that is where you begin to meet people. And that is the basis of Yiddishkeit, it's the basis of our, of our heritage. It's coming into a community, coming into community and not having the attitude like, I don't know anyone, but coming in like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet people. Ugh, it's another event. I mean, we don't really have this, but we're going to go back to life and it's going to be like, I don't know if I want to join that. And sometimes just because of the fact that it is community, it's important to be there. And I, and I know all of you have been at at an event at some point in your life where you did not want to go, but because the community was coming together, you went. 
and you made that effort and hopefully it was worthwhile for you because hopefully there was one person and one connection that you could not have made by not being there. But again, putting in that effort of joining community, joining with community is also very foundational. It's very Jewish. It's, it's, it is what, you know, perhaps what all of our, um, what our, our, the basis of Yiddishkeit is about. Okay. Um, okay. Um, okay. So now there are some techniques we're going to talk about for um, joyous relationships. And then there are some traits to stay away from. So some killers, or I think they're headless horsemen, what are they called? Um, for relationships, one of them is cynicism. Okay. Oh, and I just want to tell you one story. There's a, a sweet story about community. There was somebody back in the shtetl and he got offended one way or the other as people are ought to be offended. And what's the first thing people do when they get offended? They don't go to that shul anymore, right? They, they're, they're not there. They got offended. They're not, they don't want to be part of that community. So this man lived in a shtetl. There was one shul. He got offended. He stopped showing up. And um, one day the rabbi knocked on his door and said, you know, Beryl, we need to talk. So he sits down in Beryl's big living room. There's a fire burning and they sit on the couch and the rabbi is just chit-chatting with him. How are you? I haven't seen you. How's it been? And just very um, casually, the rabbi takes the stick that stokes the fire and he takes one, the whole fire is burning, but he takes one, um, one log and he pushes it to the side. And within a matter of seconds, that log has no more fire left to it. So the rabbi says, you know, Phil, it's a little colder in here. I think the, the fire got smaller. He's like, huh, says to Beryl, do you, I wonder why that log no longer burns. And Beryl's like, yeah, I wonder what happened. And he hadn't noticed what the rabbi said. So the rabbi said, I think because it's no longer a part of the group of logs. So it lost its passion, it lost its fire. So the message is very clear that when you're part of the community, you pick up on the passion of the community, you pick up on the love. There's a lot that gets imbued in you by being part of a community. Okay. And, and I'm speaking to women here who come to Ari's classes and you're very involved. So I just wanted to like, in case you were like, I don't know what I'm getting from this. I've learned everything already, but just for the community, sometimes that's the most important thing, whether you know everything Ari's teaching or I'm teaching, that's beside the point. The point is that we're here sitting together and being with each other. Okay, any questions? Any comments? Share. Okay, let's do a screen share. Okay, so, okay. Okay, so text six. Okay, so cynicism, this is a real, deal breaker. It's a killer. So how does the, how does, how do, does Torah wisdom tell us about cynicism? And this is from the Talmud. Okay. Um, Susan, do you want to read? Okay. Ben Zalma used to say, what does a good guest say? The house host took for my sake, how much meat he brought before me how much wine he brought before me, how many fine rolls he brought before me, and all the trouble that the host took was only for my sake. 
But what does a bad guest say? What trouble did this host take? I ate one piece of bread. I ate one slice. I drank one cup. Any trouble that this host took was only for his wife and children. With regard to a bad guest, it is written, people therefore fear him. Hmm. Okay, so um, it's also noteworthy is the fact that the good guest mentions meat, wine, and fine rolls, and he mentions the meat first, which means that he appreciates, right, that how much, how expensive that was. And the bad guest, on the other hand, mentions bread first, almost as if to camouflage that he was given some more expensive foods. Then alluding to the meat, he only talks about like, you know, what did I eat, a slice? Nothing, really, right? You know, one cup instead of mentioning the wine and fine rolls, because not only is the bad guest assuming that nothing was done, especially for him, he is also understanding and minimizing what he was given. So you're taking a situation which is really, um, you know, who knows? Who knows if I was already preparing that dinner and you didn't take extra food out of my children's mouths, or maybe I made the whole dinner for you. Does it matter? Does it matter in the eyes of the guest? Dina? Yeah. Um, this port, the Torah portion we studied today at Daily Power Parsha kind of relates to this. It was about gossip. And that's a Jewish principle not to gossip. So to think positively is show love. Right. But, you know, even just in defense of the bad guests, right? Maybe he's thinking this in his head, but what's going on for him is the story he's telling himself around this occasion is a story that's going to bring him down. It's a negative story. And, and we could even imagine that maybe he feels negatively, not because, you know, something overtly bad happened to him, but like something small happened. Like the wife said something like, Oh, I had prepared, or, or the, you know, I had prepared everything. I'm so glad you called. And then it's like, oh, so had I come, had I not, I didn't, you know, make you go out of your way. It doesn't even matter. Or maybe I begged somebody to come to my house and then they were my guests. And then after being my guest, they had this attitude, like you begged me to come. I don't need to thank you for this meal. You asked me to come. So I think the point is, is in the attitude of, how are you looking at people that go out on a limb for you? How are you looking at the world? Are you looking at the world through these cynical? Cause yeah, maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I make the same size chicken soup every darn week and I make the same challah and there's always leftovers and I spill it down the sink and this week you came, so it was eaten. Does that make a difference? Really? Right? But if you host somebody in your house, you're doing something for them. So the, the person who's the recipient can have this really cynical attitude or, you know, it's, it's really, the facts are open to interpretation, but the perspective is our choice. Okay. The, if you have a belief in ulterior motives, then you're going to be distrustful of people and you're going to think everyone is self-centered and nobody cares about me. And you're going to feel alienated and then you're actually going to have a self-fulfilling prophecy because nobody wants to be about around somebody who always feels sorry for themselves you're going to be isolated and then you can be that medaber you can have or you can be that medaber and you can have that transcendent moment am i putting others down in order to raise myself up am i projecting my own typical behavior onto someone else 
do I have difficulty accepting favors? Maybe that's all it is, is. I have such a hard time accepting favors, so I automatically turn it into something, a negative experience. But these are the questions if you find yourself like leaning towards the negativity and towards the cynicism and towards the, you know, the woe is to me, then this is your transcendent most, uh, moment. Ask yourself, like, where is this coming from? Um, obviously the best is to say like, heck, they had me, this was amazing. And, you know, just go there. But if you have a hard time, we can't always go there. Sometimes we genuinely go somewhere that is not so pleasant, but you can rise above that for yourself. So, um, but who's that? Someone say something? Okay. Transcendent in this context means assuming the best about people in our lives, not filtering others' behaviors through our own issues. Resist the impulse to psychoanalyze motivations. It's not easy, huh? Okay. So um, the next thing that gets in our way or traits to stay away from if you want to have joyous, if you ever want to have relationships and then be joyful as a result is... Um, well, I this is not something you can stay away from, but we have to learn how to manage it because you can't stay away from this. It's actually a good thing, which is disagreements, okay? Um, so question, can you continue to be friends with someone when you disagree on what you consider to be fundamental values, assuming she is respectful to your view? This is like a hot question nowadays. Adele saying, yes, we could still be friends. As long as we're respectful. It depends. Okay. I mean, if that friend, we don't share values and she wants me to go participate in activities with her as a basis of the friendship that are clearly against, you know, my values or they would be, you know, wrong or something that's illegal, then no, you can't be friends with that person. But for something that's a disagreement that doesn't involve something doing something that we know to be morally wrong, then sure you can. Okay, so I would say the first part of your comment would be disrespectful. So that would take that away. I'm talking about somebody who really has a strong belief in, you know, um, aliens coming down from the sky and kidnapping our children when we get the vaccine. I don't know, I'll make something up. Like they have a strong belief in that, but they're respectful to us. They're not making us go to anything. They're not making us say anything. We don't talk about it, but you know that's her belief because you saw her talking about it on Facebook and sharing it with her cousin or, you know, so can we still be friends? Sure. Okay. Adele, you, you agree? Yeah. I had a friend that our politics are exactly opposite and that uh, we just decided that our friendship was more important and we were just going to continue being friends and not debate over that, or get into it. We had other ways to connect. Well, that's amazing, Adele, especially in, in this climate. I am like, that's so impressive that you were able to, to transcend that because families have fallen apart over, you know, the recent um, debacles of politics. So that's really, really heartwarming to hear. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Question. Is a difference of opinion more disturbing than a difference in personality? And as far as a friendship, like, would it be easier for you to swallow 
Like we're totally different people, but opinion, I guess we already, we, we, um, we covered that already. Um, okay. What do, what do you think people find so threatening about different ways of thinking? What do, what do you think people find, find so threatening about different ways of thinking? Because then you might become, it doesn't validate your opinions if someone has different opinions. I don't know about that. I think it might be a little different. Um, what would threaten, what one might feel threatened about in terms of a difference would be if that difference involved having to change your lifestyle and change the way you live and operate in your day-to-day -day life. Right, I think we're that not talking about imposing anything on somebody. We're, we're not talking about making anyone do anything, but hearing what, what is threatening to know just the, the knowledge that somebody has a different opinion. Like uh, Donna, say what you said again. I'm sorry. I said, if, if individual, let's say I have a certain opinion and you have a different opinion, I wouldn't feel validated. I'm saying under the right. scenario, but if you had the same opinion as me, then I would feel validated. Okay. I, I, I think also what goes along with that is that the reason we don't have a certain opinion is because it's maybe something we're fearful of happening or we're fearful of that being the case. And then when our friend has it, it just, what, you think that? Like I thought only crazy people or weird people. And then you like have this, this, um, this disconnect. I really like you, but you think like those people. And it just, it, it messes with us because um, it, 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 it's things are not neat and clean and we like things to be organized and to be put into boxes. Also, sometimes the thing we don't, we have a different opinion on is exactly the thing we fear. And then it gets magnified by somebody else in our life that we love having that same opinion. And then we really think that's going to happen. Our fe it almost feels like our fears are going to come. It, it, it validates our fear almost like, you know, Mm -hmm. The opposite of, I mean, the other side of what you're saying. Go ahead, Deborah. Deborah. Um, I, I met a woman who was widowed, I think, shortly before I was. And we, we became very good friends, partly because we were going through the same changes in our lives, becoming widows um, after difficult times. Politically, we were as different as night and day. But I liked Cynthia so much, she's passed away as well. Um, I was willing to just overlook the politics part. I knew that we were never going to see it the same way, but we had so many other things that we shared that I, I couldn't let that get in the way. This was a person who became very important to me. And um, I think I don't think we can make general statements about this. It depends who the person is. It depends, yes, there may be something that we don't agree with a person about, but there may be other things that are much more important at the time that give us a connection. And you know, nothing is black and white and there's never going to be anybody that sees everything exactly the way I see it. And that's just life, you have to, 
you know, in some ways I never thought about it before. I, I, I don't know. I never thought about it that much before I met Cynthia, but we, um, we became very dear friends and it, I, Can you I give just, an example of something you would have been very on this, uh, like opposite sides of, like, oh, so she was a staunch Republican and I am a Massachusetts Democrat. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Was this in the last four years that you were able to overcome? No, she, she died around five years ago, but this was before that. But Do you think um, it would have lasted through this, through the last four years? I would like to think that we just wouldn't have talked about it. Mm. And um, she can think the way she wants to, and I can think the way I want to, but we had- Or you would have liked to think that in the last three years, she would have come over to your side. <laughs> no, I- That would have I, been- <laughs> Look, that would have been extra special, but I would not have expected that. Right. But I think um, her, her judgment on Trump might've been interesting to hear, but it, um, but as I say, I don't think anybody is going to see everything the way I do, and it's, just figuring, meeting, when you meet a person that you have some important things in common with, for me, our relationship was more important than the one thing that we saw so differently. Well, that's, that's amazing. And that's, you know, I, I think that your age, yours, Adele's speaks a lot for having to come to that truth that, you know, there are things more important than our disagreements. And that you know, it, I've also learned that I'm never going to change anyone else's mind. I don't think I ever change anyone else's mind. And it doesn't matter what it's about. I don't think, you know, there's no use getting, I'm not going to change their mind. So just meet where we can. That's beautiful. Okay. That's, that, that takes us into, that really segues us. So, um, so first of all, um, let's see, two things. So am I on a screen share? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, so not yet. Okay, I'm not, now I'm on. Okay, so first of all, we have text seven, which says that this is in the design. It says Midrash Tanhuma teaches just as people's faces are different from each other, so their minds are different from each other. The implication is that just as you tolerate other people who look differently, you should tolerate others who think differently than you are. So we all take this for granted, right? That People are going to look differently. One second, Adira. People are going to look differently. Nobody walks around saying, you need to look like me. You need to look like me. So what the Medrash is telling us that it is just a basic part of how it's not a glitch in the program. It is the program. This is how it is meant to be. We are meant to have different opinions. Our minds are different from each other. And then I want to go to the next point, which is meeting people where they're at. Adira, what did you want to ask? There's, um, uh, I think it's Swahili, and it, the word is Sisi Nisawa, which means we are the same. And just, and even though you're saying that, yes, we look different and we think different, there are certain things that are similar that we have mutual love and respect for. Right. So what's the same is that we're all creations of God and we all deserve the same respect, but we are not all the same. So um, we are all the same in that we're human beings and we love and we care and we, we feel sad and we have emotions. Yes, so in that way we're the same, but it's really, really important to stress that we think differently. And I think that Judaism has really, this is such, such valuable wisdom. Okay, so for me, um, 
this is the most important thing, especially, you know, I am a, um, you know, I grew up in a Hasidic, very um, entrenched home where, where our, where, you know, our, the way we did things was like the same for years and generations. And I come from just a really entrenched background. And then to move with my children and raise my kids in Atlanta, like I could find myself at odds with so many people so often because I didn't move myself into like another shtetl. I moved out of the shtetl. I live with, you know, modern day, not just modern day Americans in the Midwest who might share my values. I live in, in like liberal, open, um, you know, Midtown Atlanta, where many, many of the values that I hold dear are not espoused here. So, so how do I make a go of it? And that is really from the Rebbe. And this is, um, this, it, when I read the Rebbe's book by Joseph Tlushkin, this chapter, this paragraph was my personal biggest takeaway from the whole book. And I constantly, when I have friends that share things about different ideas and values that are really, you know, not the Torah's values, but very important to them, especially in today's day and age where things are just like loop-de-loop and topsy-turvy, as far as I am concerned sometimes, this is really helpful to me. And I think it can be helpful to everybody. So um, go ahead, um, Donna, do you want to read text eight? What further fortified the Rebbe in his affection for those with whom he had differing views was a carefully cultivated consciousness of the areas in which he and his opponents agreed. To a rabbi who expressed deep disagreement with him over a certain religious issue, the Rebbe noted that even if they disagreed on this matter, there still remained 612 issues on which they could work together. A reminder to the letters recipient that there were two allies having a disagreement not two opponents having a feud. The number 612 was, of course, a figurative refer reference to the Torah's 613 commandments minus one. In this instance, he also reminded Rami Shmuel Lu, who had ongoing dealings with the same rabbi, how positive a person this man and his family were and how they can be forces for good. So let's look, therefore, for the unifying force. For Lu, the Rebbe's approach became a general directive for how to conduct his life. Look always for that which you have in common with the other person and build that up. This was a good way Luke came to understand to avoid alienating potential allies and avoid living an existence filled with needless anonymity. Yes, so this is really, it's about, like you said, Deborah, um, Adele, everybody really, you know, it's about finding common ground. It's like, and this again, it's, it's, it's a training for yourself also in positivity, because it's like, don't take for granted the things about them that you love, that you like. I just heard a podcast yesterday with Brene Brown and the Gottmans. They're like relationship specialists and they can predict a couple's, um, um, their, um, the probability of them staying together by 90% within the first, I don't know, hour of meeting them. But they said that, you know, we, we value people that are different than us. We choose them as friends and as spouses. And then we spend time trying to make them like us, not like us as in be kind to us, but the same as us. So it is a futile, really a, a, a futile 
endeavor, meet people where they're at. I just, I'm, this is, I remember that, um, I actually don't remember this. I wrote it down and I found it in my notes, but in my journal, um, when, you know, like I said, I came from this really, you know, Matik, my oldest was born here, but still he came from this very strong Hasidic community as his background. And it was very hard for him when we would meet people and they didn't have yarmulkes on. He's like, but if they're Jewish, why aren't they wearing a yarmulke? And, and I had to like, when he was three years old, I had to talk to him about this all the time. They are Jewish. Yes, they're Jewish, just like you and me, but no, they don't wear a yarmulke. That's their choice. But we have to wear a yarmulke. Yes, we have to wear a yarmulke. No, they choose not to wear a yarmulke. And this was like an ongoing conversation. And one day he says to me, mommy, I know why he's not wearing a yarmulke. He just hasn't found one yet that he likes. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's a good answer. He got the, he's in, he got the program, you know, he got the idea. Okay, so um, we are going to go to text nine just to kind of um, round this out. Um, Okay, let's see, share screen. And um, Danielle, would you like to read text nine? This is also from the Talmud. Rish Lakish died and Rabbi Yochanan grieved after him greatly. The rabbi said, Rabbi Elazar ben Pedak should go to comfort him for he is a brilliant scholar. Okay, so just give you a little background that Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan were, were partners, you know, study partners, and they loved each other. And Rish Lakish died and now Rabbi Yochanan is, is alone, right? He's not going to have this study partner. His, 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 his bromance is over. Rabbi Elazar ben Pettit um, went and sat before Rabbi Yochanan. To every idea Rabbi Yochanan taught, Rabbi Elazar ben Pettit responded, there is an earlier teaching that supports your opinion. Rabbi Yochanan said to him, are you supposed to be like um, Reish Lakish? I'm discussing, um, in my discussions with Reish Lakish, Lakish um, whenever I would say something, he would raise 24 objections and I would offer 24 responses. As a result of the, of the give and take, the subject was crystallized. You, however, constantly say, there's an earlier teaching that supports your opinion. Do I not already know that my ideas are sound? Rabbi Yochanan went about and tore his clothes, crying and saying, where are you, Reish Lakish? Where are you, Rach Lakish? He screamed until he lost his sanity. Okay, so this is really a very beautiful story. Um, very sad story. He was looking for his partner who challenged him. He was looking for his partner and he saw the beauty in it. He sharpened his mind and he, and he broadened his skills. And that's what he wanted. He didn't want a yes man. He wanted somebody who was going to give him 24 different ways why he was wrong. Okay, so um, transcendence in this context and disagreement is, is, is understanding that it's okay to think differently. In fact, when egos are set aside in the search for clarity, respectful dialogue can facilitate connection. And this is just something I wanna say that you know all of us are at the level where we just don't talk about the things that we disagree on, but a transcendent level would be, maybe we could talk about them. Let's come up with, I, I, I know that it's not always possible, but to think, but just to know that there is a level 
that is one step above, which is, yeah, we are going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it respectfully and we're going to find connection even in those places that we disagree. Okay, so... Um, what about in Torah? What? In Torah, I always thought that Torah was a safe place to, for people to disagree. You have the Rashi says one thing, Rambam says another thing, Rambam says something else, and then you've got Okla saying something else, and the Rebbe says who knows what else. And then, you know, you have this kid that isn't some great rabbi who says, I disagree with all of them. And, and, and they're not saying it out of disrespect. They're saying, I have another perspective. Let's learn it together. I thought that's what Torah was all about. Yes, that, that's exactly what we're saying, is that we're saying that the highest level to reach is like Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, where they could disagree and love each other through that disagreement. Okay, so... Um, so we spoke about not being cynical, how, how to disagree. Um, generosity and giving is also a big part of friendship. And um, there's a really nice video, you might've seen it with Rabbi Tversky who just passed, recently passed away. He was 90 years old. He was the rabbi for um, probably the first, you know, rabbi that dealt with addiction and he wrote over 90 books. And he has this video where, you know, you go up to somebody and you say to them, Oh, what are you eating there? I see you're eating a fish. Why are you eating the fish? And the boy says, because I love the fish. He's like, no, you didn't fish that fish out of the water, put it on a, on a, a little spike to slit its throat, cut it open and, you know, consume it because you love it. You're eating that fish because you love yourself. So there's fish love, right? There is love that we are involved in or relationships based on what can I get? What is this doing for me? But if you go back to the first love in the Torah is the first love is yourself. We ought to, and we do, and hope, you know, if we're, if we're healthy, or this is the place we, we should be getting to, is our first love needs to be ourself. So when I am with somebody and I give to them, well, if I love myself and now I've given to you, that's an investment in me, right? Because I love myself and now I am connected to you on this level that is connected to me. And that is, um, that is the love that we are. And, and really the only thing that we, you know, there was a, there's a story with um, Rothschild and they asked him um, what he was worth. And he, he gave a number, I don't know, 700,000 francs or whatever the, the money was back in that day. And they said, oh, Mr. Rothschild, you, you have much more money than that. He's like, no, no, you ask me what I'm worth. That's the amount of money I've given away. That's the only thing that I'm worth is the money that I've given away. So it's what we do for somebody. So I gave you kind of the mechanics. Why, when we do for someone else, is it so rewarding? Because we've invested in ourselves, okay? So that is why the mechanics of why giving away feels so good, but we have to get there first. We have to get to that transcendent place where I can say, I wouldn't want to give to you and I expect nothing in return. And the reason we don't expect anything in return is because we have ourselves in return. We have enriched ourselves by giving to someone else. Okay. And then, so that's generosity and giving. And then there is listening. So there is, um, you know, there's 
there's listening and there is, um, you know, hearing what someone, there's hearing and there's listening and there's hearing someone talk in order to have a response. And then there's listening to give it back. Say, did I, is this what you meant? Is this what you said? Is this what your intention is? So it's really listening in order to um, connect and understand what that person is trying to tell you. Um, Adira, did you want to say something about listening? My mother says that she, she knows of two types of conversations. There's the kind where you listen, and then there's the one where you're just, you know, being quiet and waiting for your turn to speak. And I think what you just said, there's listening and hearing, that the hearing might be more close to, I'm waiting patiently for my turn to speak, but I'm not absorbing what you just said. Well, whereas listening is when your whole body absorbs and everything inside you absorbs the words of another. Yes, thank you. Okay, so real listening is the emotional fuel that keeps that relationship going, um, the relationship going. Okay, so um, in summary of building relationships and getting the joy from those relationships is that the the more I am, the more I am concerned about myself and why you had me for dinner and what the fish I want to eat and the self-love, the less room there is for others. So the key to improving our relationships is making room for others. So, um, and, and what is, what does it mean to make room for others? It's not, um, I think of less of myself. I think of myself less, right? So it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So making room for others in your life. The power of transcendent, transcendent is, transcendence is rooted deep in my soul. And that is the ability to appreciate, to feel enriched, to empathize, give selflessly, to forget and to respect and to forgive. Um, so finding joy in relationships, especially in isolation, requires us to be more, more mindful of the necessity of the relationship more mindful of creating space for the relationship, more mindful of investing in our relationship through the tools of this class. So it is getting out of yourself, calling somebody, um, rising above your disagreements, understanding that we were created for this. It's not a perk. It's not icing on the cake. It's not like, okay, it's a pandemic. I won't speak to anyone. Anyway, I'm happier watching Netflix and um, reading books and you know, staring at myself in the mirror and, you know, I don't know, um, shaving my legs, but it is, it is about that. This is, this is the first thing Hashem said to Adam. It's not good for man to be alone. So maybe we even have a bigger responsibility during this pandemic to take care of this aspect of our lives and to bring that joy into our lives is to look for those relationships, phone calls, um, reaching out to people and, um, making those connections. Um, I can choose. I can choose how I want to view the people in my life. Do I want to be right, or do I want to be happy? Do I want to be comfortable, or do I want to be happy? Do I choose to be suspicious or accepting and appreciative? So, um, the degree of joy that my relationship will bring depends on my choice. So, it might be very comfortable for me to sit and watch my Netflix, but it's not bringing me joy. And how do I know that? Because Hashem told us it's not good for man to be alone, 
We are not meant to be loners. So find your friends, reach out and touch someone. Wasn't that a AT&T um, commercial in the 80s? Reach out and touch someone. And that was about phone calls. I think we're back to that. And that's all the news fit to print. I will send you the, the whole, um, the whole lesson so you can read all the extra stuff if you would like. Any any questions, comments? Back. Thank you. Um, I think I'm supposed to give you like a something to work on, right? Work on relationships. Work on um, during the coming month. Engage in at least three conversations where you take a moment before the conversation to remind yourself that listening is a skill that requires effort. Refrain from thinking about what you want to say while the other is talking. Invite the speaker who has already completed the point to elaborate on his or her experience or point of view. Acknowledge and restate what the speaker said before offering your point of view. So the exercise is to really engage in active listening, not hearing, as Adira said. It says that man, it's not good for man to be alone, but it didn't say anything about woman being alone. Human, human. Well, I mean, a man cannot live, a man needs a woman, but not always the opposite way. Or I'd love to hear you combat that. So when Hashem created man, he created him as an androgynous being. So it wasn't man, it was man, woman, but that being needed someone connecto opposite them. And we said, we talk about that, which is that, which is that point that the, you need opposing views. You need opposing opinions. That's how Hashem created the world so that you can grow and dig deeper and um, get to know yourself better and get to know people better. So I think that um, just avoiding the disagreements is not our highest level. We've got to get into the disagreements. Do you know? Yeah. I just want to make a little announcement. I, many of uh, my fellow classmates have uh, joined me in my workshops with Rabbi Ari to make the Jewish jewelry. And so I received a grant from Lamoud. Oh. And doing, yeah. And I'm doing it right to, for Shavuot Sapphires. And it's very beautiful. And the grant, it, it comes to the price for everybody to attend. It's just $8 a person. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you, Donna. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And also, I've arranged very safely to have in person in Buckhead in a very nice training room. So it will be one of, it goes with our theme again tonight, a way to start getting out there slowly and safely. Um, so it'll be very nice. Yeah. So like you said, and that's a genuine sapphire. You know, that's because the Ten Commandments were on inscribed on sapphire tablets. And then beautiful um, gold chain necklace with the tree of life and the Ten Commandments. And then we'll have some, some words Amazing. of wisdom. And I know, Donna, you moved here right before COVID. And look at you getting out there. You got a grant from Limud. You're running programs and you're showing up at all the community events that are possible right now. So you're a really good example of this. Thank you. And it's helped me. I mean, it's helped me navigate this. Yes, by, by doing this all, yes. I participate. Great. Yes. That is great. I'm really, um, really happy to hear that. Thank you. Okay, so everybody show um, come to Donna. Put it in the in the. Um, I'm sure Rabbi Ari will advertise it, but Donna put it in the comments.
Thank you. All right. Anyone else before we sign off? Thank you, Dina. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you all. Thanks for joining. Thank you. 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 Um, videos on. I really appreciate seeing you. Hey, Charna. Oh, hey. <laughs> Sorry, I was late. No, that's okay. That's okay. All right. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.